Anything combat with Johnny K. Well, it's anything combat, though. Welcome back, combatants, to the Anything Combat show, wherein we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K, and today we're joined by the former World Series of Fighting Champion. He fought for the UFC belt, uh, MMA legend. Please welcome John Fitch. How are you today, John? I'm doing pretty good. Good man. My first question for you is going to be an easy one. So, do you have any regrets from your MMA career? Uh, not, I don't know. No, I think I did. I think I did what I could have done. Um, you know, there's no use in having regrets. I learned lessons from the mistakes I made. So, yeah, I don't have any regrets. Is the GSP fight important for your career legacy? Yeah, you know, it was a great test at the time. It taught me uh, some good lessons, some things I had to work on. But but it leaves me with an emptiness because uh, I made a lot of improvements in the time between I fought uh, GSP and BJ Penn. And, you know, getting a draw in a fight that I think could have been stopped in the third round um, was a big setback because I didn't get a chance to get that, you know, that rematch to test to test how much I had improved. You said that you mentally broke him. Uh, somewhere online. I don't know where, where that was said, but uh, why did you believe that? You said that he changed his fight style for the remainder I, of his I've career. I've noticed a lot of guys that I've fought stopped finishing guys and started fighting a lot more safe. So you think that your style put them in a position where it was, they didn't want the dog fight? I think um, you put a little bit of a fear in somebody and they, they try to stay as far away from that as possible. So if you can stay in control and keep a more moderate pace and not take as many risks, I think that's something that people will gravitate towards. Now that you're retired, how often are you training? I mostly lift and uh, hit the heavy bag. I also teach a lot. I have a gym built in my garage. It's fairly decent, and I, I meet up with a lot of private lessons in the back here and work with people here. So I don't get an opportunity to grapple that often, but I did get a few uh, days of sparring in recently with Todd Duffy because he's fighting uh, Ben Rothwell in Bare Knuckles coming up. So I've watched a lot of Bare Knuckles. I'm a big fan of watching Bare Knuckles, and <clears throat> I like analyzing it because it is a little different the way the guys fight because they can hold and hit, um, you know, the way the punches land affects guys differently. A lot of knockouts are different in bare knuckles. You'll see a guy get hit with a hard jab to the, to the nose and mouth and he'll just take two steps back and take a knee and that's enough. <laughs> you know, the, the punches just land different. So I had a lot of ideas about how he could fight a, uh, a bigger guy. So I basically, came in as a little bit smaller guy and uh, sparred hard with him just to kind of show him what I thought would work against a bigger guy. Good man. I'm a massive fan of Bare Knuckle, dude. That card's going to be spastic. That card's fucking wild. I had Howard Davis on the show. He's fighting for the belt uh, on that card. Eddie Alvarez is up against Mike Perry. What do you think about that match? Uh, that's, that's two dogs. Uh, that's, I think it's going to be a fun dogs. fight. I think it's going to be a fun you fight. Know. 
It's a little, there's a little something different. To be able to get in there and throw. To be able to get in there and bare throw. knuckles. There's no, no prima donnas. There's, there's no, no prima donnas. There's no IG no, models. There's no IG models in the bare knuckles. <laughs> Except uh, what was that guy's name? Bryce Hall. He's kind of he's kind of TikToker. They got in there. It is true. It is true. But I don't know. He 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 went in there and fought bare knuckles. It's maybe he hasn't gotten hit yet. Maybe we'll see. Maybe that's the true test. First time. I really so. I really like the game because of the single collar. I like the fact that it's so clinch dominated and it's a working clinch, not like the mm-hmm. boring boxing fights. Yeah. where you're just staying in the clinch doing fuck all. It's kind of like almost a Muay Thai fight without the knees. You're constantly hitting those Muay Thai uppercuts. And as you said, it's leading to these crazy finishes. So is there someone in bare knuckle right now that you think is like the main star of the show? Would you say that's Perry or someone else? Man, Perry, Perry probably is the the most famous, the most eyeballs on him, you know? There are some solid uh solid fighters but not as many of them have the name recognition as is mike perry where has uh todd duffy been this whole time i know that he was a mma fighter and you've been sparring with him when did you first meet him when did you start working with him and he's kind of been off the radar and now coming back to bare knuckles seemed like a surprise for everybody he's been um dealing with some like injury stuff big guys man big guys get hurt <laughs> you know and he's been he's been dealing with that type of health stuff, and um, had contracts just tied up, and trying to find the best place for himself. I know he went and, and got some uh, some the stem therapy stuff for himself, and um, I think he's finally feeling healthy again. So he's jumping back in the bare knuckles. Would you ever do something like that, or a karate combat? Would you ever get in there? I don't think I get my legs high enough to kick anybody. Cry combat. Um, bare knuckles is interesting because two minute rounds. I'm an old man. I think I can make two minutes. <laughs> you know, um, but there's a purity to the bare knuckle fight that there's something appealing to it, especially when you are able to mix in the head control a little bit. Of, I needed more clarification on the underhooks and the and the elbow control type stuff. Because I didn't, I, I didn't remember seeing a fight where a guy kind of um, fought into a nice little underhook position, but then reached around the guy's back and was able to pin the guy's arm behind his back, right? So he's got to unhook one side, pin the other side. So the guy's arms are basically behind his back. And he's got a free hand. And the ref stepped in and warned him. And I was like, that, that seems like it should be legal. <laughs> what, in bare knuckle? Yeah, if you can catch the guy's hands behind his back, I feel like you should be able to hit him. Well, it makes sense, but it's not the bare-knuckle MMA that stuff like Jorge Masvidal is making. I really like those competitions. Yeah. yeah. I, they're, um, man, yeah, they'll be a little bit more bloody, but I think there's a lot less brain trauma and I think more faster knockouts. You got to be a lot more careful with how you throw punches too when you're hitting elbows and the top of somebody's head with your with your bare knuckle rather than a, a pad have you watched howard davis's fights uh he's fighting when is he fighting for, he's fighting kai for the i think it might have been the featherweight belt on the same card as todd he's the undercard for todd yeah. 
So yeah, dude, that guy can crack. And when he was on the show, he was basically really long. Oh yeah, he's like six. He, I think it might be one forty-five, and he's six-two or one fifty-five. Yeah, guys, oh giant. Yeah, he's giant. So he was on the show, and he was basically telling me that every time he got into a match where it was like a brawl, he fought Jimmy Rivera, if you remember. He um he broke his hands multiple times, and he basically was saying that whenever whenever a massive power puncher gets into bare knuckle or is a boxer such as like Deontay Wilder or can crack like Howard Davis. He was saying that there's a high chance than bare knuckle. Most people just break their hands if you can really punch, because if you've seen his knockouts, they're ridiculous how hard he's hitting people. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy how fragile the hands really are. Even if you're not breaking your hands, like, it gets, it gets, uh, they get bruised. They get sore. I, I've had my hands get bruised and sore through four ounce gloves in fights, and it hurts to hit the guy in the third round. You're just like, do you get knocked out so I can stop hitting you? Start trying to throw more elbows. I've had bruised elbows and big lumps on my arm for months after fights from elbowing guys and forearming them in the face. Like, even if you're beating the crap out of the guy, you're still getting beat up. Which uh, fight do you remember where that, like, you got hurt from beating someone up so bad? Yeah. There was a lot of lumps after the first Thiago Alves fight, the first Josh Berkman fight. Um, I had a huge lump on my forearm for a long time after... uh, who was it? Superman, uh, in Florida, where I was dropping elbow forearms chops on him over and over again. Dennis Hallman, and uh, I remember having a huge lump on my forearm for a long time after that, maybe like a year. We were talking about the bare knuckle MMA. What do you think about JDS and Fabricio doing their thing? Do you think legends should stay away from uh, the bare knuckle MMA? Or do you think that, as you said, it's going to lead to more body shot finishes? So legends should do it. I mean, it's it's just the nature of what the market is right now. Old guys are still broke. <laughs> if these guys would have made enough money... Um, <clears throat> In their 30s, they probably wouldn't be trying to fight bare knuckle in their 40s. Um, you know, they've kind of aged out of making the big money in regular MMA, so now they've got to take bigger risks. That's that's a, a symptom of, of the greater problem of the UFC monopoly in the sport. Um, you know, if these guys were actually able to earn a market value when they were in their prime, they probably wouldn't have to be doing this type of stuff. Now, it doesn't mean I don't watch when they fight because uh, it is still entertaining. And, you know, if the guys want to do it, let them do it, I guess. Uh, you know, um, if they're being paid enough money by somebody who wants to watch them fight, I don't think we should stop them from earning money uh, as long as there's not a huge a huge medical risk of them dying in the cage, then 
I think. What's the harm? Totally. Let's talk about that UFC monopoly. So you were at World Series of Fighting. You were the champion there. That became PFL. PFL has now bought Bellator. That means that one massive share by Scott Coker in the MMA landscape is being deteriorated because of the um, uh, joint venture. So do you believe that this will be kind of detrimental for the MMA community? Because if you only have one other player that's also an ESPN property and MMA is not going elsewhere in the West because Bellator was a massive uh, company, don't you think that the UFC will be able to um, do what they're doing with the LFA, do what they're doing with contender series and constantly own all these smaller leagues? Well, that's that's why this the the class action lawsuit is so important. Uh, they they do they control everything top down, and the fact that PFL is bought in Bellator, like they're not they're not competitors. They're not competing with the UFC. Like it's not um, like oh we're gonna get you, we're gonna knock you out of number one. Like the money isn't anywhere close. They're not anywhere close to as profitable as what the UFC is. Like all of the all the promotions, all the top promotions, can better can, can, together combined, aren't anywhere near what the UFC is is pulling in in revenue. So there's no com- competition. It's not competitive in any way. UFC has repeatedly referred to all these other places as, as feeder programs. Right, they're feeder programs, and they're using their um, their platforms to <laughs> use even more leverage to keep everybody stuck in like a feeder platform. Like how, how are the people who are uh, on fight pass, how are they, how are they trying to compete with the UFC? Like if they were actual competitors, of UFC, wouldn't they just kick them off their, their fight pass platform? Like they, they view them and treat them as feeders. That's not a healthy market. Do you think that the UFC hates you? I don't care. <laughs> They're breaking the law. <laughs> they have stolen. They steal money. And in my opinion, like they're stealing from me as a fan. I want to see the best fighters, the best styles, the best techniques, the best systems, all that stuff implemented. I don't want to see. Oh, the, this guy's the most popular. He's got the highest Q rating. Uh, he, you know, this, this girl's really photogenic. Let's put her out there a bunch. Uh, um, I'm not interested in the pro wrestling storylines. I want to see actual fights. I want to see what's actually going to work out there. Um, they have erased all semblance of sport. They control rank. They control ascension to the title. They can, can control the title. Like it's it is literally pro wrestling. They've been at this for over a decade, and when you control all this stuff, when you control the press, because if the press doesn't report the way you like them, you you take away their press pass, you kick them out, you tell fighters and their management companies not to talk to those people. You have monopoly running through the management companies now too. You have a management company with like two hundred some fighters being represented. The last. Somebody messaged me and told me that the eight of the 12 fights at the last UFC were from Iridium. They're the same, the same uh, 
the same managers. Okay, is Irid did you say like Iridium, like the MMA agency? Yeah, I believe that's the one. Yep. So like eight of the eight of their guys won twelve out of twelve fights. So are they are certain guys getting favorite being favorite shown favoritism because their manager uh, is more favorable to the UFC and does more of what the UFC wants. So now you're going to have fighters who have to sign with certain management companies. Looks can be deceiving though. We just saw with Sugar O'Malley, they tried to um, build him to be the champion. And then after his uh, fights took place, you saw his fight with Piotr Yan. He did ele- excellently. He smashed him and won won a very um, it was a close fight. But rewatching, I've rewatched it heaps of times. He definitely won the first and third, meaning that he beat a world champion. This is what people are failing to understand. And then he knocked out the reigning defending um, champion that we've had in the last three four years. So even though there was a lot of hype around him, a lot of hype jobs fail. But him in particular, um, they set him up. He looked the part. It was WWE, but he had the skills to back it up. So what do you think about that case study? Yeah, if if you are able to pull things off and get things done, then, then that's, that's great. Um, but there needs to be a semblance of sport behind what we're doing, if it is a sport. And in sport, historically, you win – you move forward in every other sport there's ever been. You you win, your rank improves, you get better opportunities. And they've turned it into strictly entertainment. And that steals from the athletes. Because we're not trying to be cast in a role of a television show. We're we're trying to be athletes and in fights to be the best. Like that's the whole point of sport. Do you think that Sean will um, beat Cheeto Vera in his most rec- most upcoming uh, title fight? And how many titles do you think he'll get? Do you think he'll be long-reigning champion, or will he just be Sean Sugar? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, man, it's hard to it's hard for me to take a lot of any of the top tens seriously. Because I don't know what's not being allowed in. I don't know what uh, management company has some killer that everybody is shunning because there's no ranking system. There's no way to guarantee his ascension because they just don't like his attitude. They don't like his his fighting style. They don't uh, like he asks for too much money. Like the amount of guys who get stonewalled and cut out of the conversation I think it's too much for me to look at much of the UFC as anything other than a pro wrestling lineup. You know, who's better, Hulk Hogan or the Iron Sheik? That's what a lot of the conversations are to me. Like, I can't take them seriously. Who do you think is better, this or that? They're, I mean, I don't know. I know that they do not like guys who wrestle. <laughs> and... A lot of times you put somebody in there who with a little bit of wrestling and he screws a lot of people's days completely up. Yeah, dude. There's one fighter that um, they kind of 
I don't think the UFC would ever pick him up. His name's like Magomed Magomedkuriov or some shit. He won the PFL tournament back in the day, right? He got the million-dollar check. This guy, has. I looked at his record. He has wins over heaps of people like Chris Curtis, Sadi Boo, right? His record's 33 and 6. I go on his Instagram. I don't think he has an Instagram. I saw like a fan page. Unknown guy, all of his photos, just Zabit Magnumeyasheripov, Khabib, all these people that he's hanging out with. This is a guy that yeah. they could market and be like, oh, this is the next killer, but they would never buy him, not in a million years. There's not a single reality where he'll ever get a UFC fight because his style's, well, it's kind of fucking boring, but it's very effective. <laughs> yeah, I, um, man, I just, I, I, I wish that... Uh... We could get more of the top guys regardless. Like, if you had, I mean, I don't mind. Like, circus fights, like popular fights, it's fine. So, sell, sell people use it, it's great. But you still need a ranking, uh, you know, independent ranking, something like that. Um, that may be hard. Like, the, the best thing we may, may get is, is short, shorter contracts. That may be the one thing, because I don't think that the promoters are ever going to want to give up their titles because that's where they're making their money. If they can control the title and they can control who fights for the title, um, that's where they're really keeping in control. If we change things to one-year contracts, then it forces the promotion to bid on those athletes at the end of those contracts. They would never do that because they would give the athletes market share. But let's say in the reality that they did do that and they did do the one-fight deal, such as Bellator or the one-year contracts, do you think they'll be beneficial for fighter, like, um, purchasing power, we can call it? Yes, I think it would very much so because you could, especially if it's a one-year, no matter what, you fight once or three times, four times, you're just fighting that one year. So PFL wouldn't have to change their business model because they could still run their tournament. UFC could still do their shows how they want to do. Um, but the athletes, if, if they won a title within that, those three fights that in that year, now they're at their most valuable spot. And they can be like, hey, well, renegotiate with me or I'm going to sit out or, and then go to the highest bidder. It gives, gives guys a little bit of leverage, a little bit of leeway. You know, because guys can sit out. They can sit out a year, you know, or it's, it start times out after they sign. So, you know, uh, it wouldn't even be a full year of sitting out. But they could do that if it means they're going to get a better, a better deal, better contract. Or say you're not happy with your promoter. He's not promoting you. He's not keeping you active. Well, now instead of sitting around forever, now you can be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to exit. You guys haven't fought me. It's been a year. We're out. Press conference person basically spoke to Dana yesterday and said, Dana, what do you think about Francis and John? They're probably the two best, right? Outside Aspinall, who's just proved himself uh, worthy. But he, he said that, what do you think about that fight? Let's make it happen. Can we co-promote seeing that you're both ESPN plus with, um, with PFL? And Dana said, he said, he's very good at wording stuff. He said, I already tried to make the matchup. Therefore, why are you asking me to make the matchup again? They refused. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very good with his words, though, don't you think? I tried to make them fight for free. It's their fault. They didn't. They, they must be cowards. They're afraid to fight. What, what weak people. And they're boring. Fans never liked them anyways. What do you think about the Francis Tyson Fury pay-per-view selling lower than any UFC card like ever? I think the shittest UFC pay-per-view sold more than Tyson Francis. I I don't know. I, I, uh, I know a lot of people watched it. I know a lot of people were talking about it. I know. On I Russian got, streaming links? I still got, I still know he, he got paid. So... I don't know if that's the own people think it is. I still think he did pretty damn great and overall came up pretty damn well, way better than, than if he would have stayed in, in the UFC. And uh, the idea that Dana can't co-promote and can't put the fight together is ridiculous. He absolutely can. Like, he's just selfish. He's stealing another fight from the fans. He's stole the... Stole the whole sport from us. He stole, stole from the fans, stole from the athletes, and now he still he keeps stealing fights from us. We miss way more top level fights in MMA than boxing ever ever made us miss. Are you sure about that? That's something that I can't I really so. I can't I can't agree with you on because they think Fedor, about just the There's so many matchups we miss with Fedor. Um the uh, the Gracie, long time ago. There's plenty of fights, plenty of fights. I think the only problem with that is that boxing, the state of boxing right now, who it's owned by, who the people in the back, I would say as much as we love to shit on Dana, I would say that the people in boxing are far worse. Would you just not agree with that? Because personally, that's they my opinion. Boxing has never owned the title. They've never owned the title. They've never controlled rank. No I understand. How, I understand no what you're dirty, saying. No matter how dirty they are, that's the most powerful thing anybody could ever do. There's do nothing. You, do more you truly slimy. believe that? Yes. There's nothing more slimy or dirty than being able to control the rank, control ascension to title, and control the title. There's no sport, no sport anywhere, anywhere in the history of sport that allows that in any way. It's not sport. It's production at that point. So everything else that happens after that. It's just pro wrestling. What was your final nail in the coffin for you leaving the UFC and going to the World Series of Fighting at the time? Uh, well, I just was not I, – I didn't know what financial damages they had done to us, but I knew that there was not operating as a sport, and I didn't like it, and I wasn't shutting up about it because it wasn't just me who was getting screwed over. There's lots of guys who were getting passed over, passed by, a lot of guys, some guys getting taken care of. And I just, I was like, this is supposed to be a sport. Like I've operated in sports my whole life. I know how things work. And um, it wasn't even until they sold that we really understood the financial part of it. I knew the industry needed to change because there was a, a, a straitjacket around you. If you, you either had to quit the sport or you had to play by the UFC's rules. And it wasn't always like that. You um, you had more options before in the 2000s. 
like yeah, 2008, 2010, like they kind of put the tourniquet on. Moving on to a more lighter topic, let's talk about uh, headbutts and uh, kicks on the ground, soccer kicks. So I saw your opinions on headbutts. I tend to agree with you. Even Trevin Jones said that. He said that he's, he's our old uh, former UFC uh, fighter, Bantamweight. He said that if you put somebody in half guard or full mount and you headbutt them once or twice and you get them right on the jaw perfectly and the fight's mm-hmm. over, you are the more dominant fighter. You're, you're a better fighter. It's simple as that. It's all about yeah. body mechanics. Fighting at the end of the day, even though it's about oh, knockout submission, it's about mm-hmm. who can move their body better than the other person. Yeah. And then and then all the rest falls into place with um, what techniques you're using and all the rest, right? So I just mm-hmm. think that if you're in a position to knee somebody in the face, if you're both maybe if one guy's in side control or some shit yeah. like that, or if you're flexible enough to um, headbutt someone if you're on the ground, you know what I mean? Someone like Kevin Holland could do some shit like that. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> If you're in a position, well, why are you laughing? No, no, it's Kevin obviously Kevin Hall trying to head somebody from his back. <laughs> because he's he's creative, is he not? Like we saw him with Jacare yeah. Souza jumping into some sort of finish, right? So yeah. if if you allow for greater creativity, you're only gonna get yeah, better yeah, fighters. So this is the this is the big thing that nobody ever talk, talks about is it was around uh man, two thousand it's the, I started noticing around 2007, 2008, um, but it was really getting pushed towards 2010, and that was the the faster stand-ups. So uh, what happened was you kind of used to have to fight your way of your feet, okay? You had to fight to get up. Uh, you had to fight to sweep. You had to fight to do submissions. When When you were doing that, when you're fighting to do those things on bottom, it opens you up a lot to getting your guard passed, to getting mounted, to getting elbowed, to getting punched, to getting guard pounded, to getting finished, those type of things. But when they started standing guys up faster, the, the guys on bottom stopped stopped doing jiu-jitsu. They, they decided to start de- doing defensive grappling, and then they would lock their guard up, hold tight, they would uh, control gloves, overhook the, gri- the wrist and elbows and hold on, hold your head down, uh, do what they could to kind of smother and stall the fight. It was 100% stalling. But if they could do that, the ref would stand them up and they would get rewarded for the position. And that's been continuing down the road and it's continuing today. And I think we would get robbed of a lot of ground, great ground stuff because guys don't do ground anymore because they just try to stop the fight. And that's why certain guys like Khabib on the top, they just cut through guys because they never stopped working on the ground. What do you think about Khabib? I'm like the most vocal advocate for why I'm I'm the anti Khabib club. Seriously, like I think I think he's the most overrated, overhyped fighter of all time. Like I would put him in the goat list. I'd he's put him. Of, I'd put him at guys I've ever trained with. One of the strongest, <laughs> absolute strongest guys. Him. Can He's I run you through my argument? The, the second strongest 155 pounder was Gray Maynard, but but like Khabib's stronger than GSP. Like, Can I give you my argument? It's the idea. So I would put at one, him at one at 180 uh, 
At 182, he's still stronger than GSP. I would say that he is maybe around rank 14, rank 13 of all time, right? I'm not saying it's undeniable that he's the best lightweight to ever live. I'm saying that even then, he, when it comes to straight accomplishments and who he fought, there's a short list of people that it's kind of a little bit dodgy. You know what I mean? I'm saying he beat RDA, he beat Dustin Justin, right? A lot of, uh, dude, a lot of these guys are strikers. There are a new breed of grappling lightweights that are that are coming into the division and i'm telling you right now i have the opinion that if he's if he was in a situation where he would have to fight somebody that has really um dying willpower you know what i mean someone like a volkanovsky at the time that makachev had to fight right i think that 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 khabib wouldn't do as well i'm not saying that he wouldn't win i'm just saying that he wouldn't do as well now i know you trained with him at aka i believe right his top people his his game is very narrow and focused of what he uses and the tools he uses but he will shove them down your throat over over and over and over again he is uncannily uh smothering on top i would come when he was training for fights i would come and i if i wasn't training for anything i would come in uh, uh you know i got 20 pounds on him I would come in so I would be the only guy I could even fight up to my feet in five minutes. And it would take, I'd get maybe once, twice if I was lucky to get away. The guy's a monster, absolute monster bear on top. And he may not be doing a bunch of slick jujitsu stuff, but you're not, you're like, you're not getting away from him. He's going to crush people, puts them in the wall and he wears on them. He's just, Maybe he doesn't have the um, the list of fighters that GSP went through, but man, like head to head, like that's a tough fight for for George. I I really want your opinion on the fact that he didn't fight grapplers. Let's be serious here. Is this something that people are overlooking? Uh, that, that, okay, so you don't don't have um, he doesn't have any control on who he fights. That's the UFC's choice. And one of two things you can argue is UFC really wanted him to win all the fights because they hit all the good grapplers, which I can't think of any good grapplers at the time. I think it falls into what I was talking about before, right? Because guys stopped working on the ground because all you had to do was hold on, stall the position, and get stood back up to your feet. So I think there's a big chunk of guys who fall into that frame right when Khabib was coming up. So you have Khabib, this wrecking machine on top, and all these guys who kind of just gave up working on ground escape because they, now they could just hold on and stall. But they could not just hold on through Khabib. He smashed through them holding on and did damage. Of the techniques and the way that Khabib was smashing guys who were just holding on, now you've got a whole bunch of guys learning new top stuff and new escapes because they're seeing what Khabib was doing to guys. I see. Khabib, though, if you look at his topology, there's two fighters that he pulled out of the most, right, out of the fight. 
Um, one was Cowboy Cerrone, and one was Tony Ferguson. Now, dude, these are difficult stylistic matchups. Like, on a real note, if I were to put an easy stylistic matchup for Khabib, I would give him Ally Quinta. You know what I mean? Like, I know I know that's terrible to say, but at the time he was ranked 11th and he won the belt off that. That's a fact. So where my argument kind of comes in is that when he, when he fought someone like a Gleason Tebow at the very start of his career, it had a lot of, at the start of his UFC journey, he had a lot of problems with Gleason. And this was a big, stocky wrestler. It might have been on the juice. We don't know, right? But it was just the fact that he had a lot of difficulties with him. I think that now you've got people like your Oliveira, your Chandler, your Tsayukian, Dariush, right? I've just listed four people that I I think would do better against Khabib's style than someone like, um, um, like a Conor McGregor, right? I know that's um, difficult to say because Conor's takedown defense is decent, but... I think that the my main critique of his um, career is that he doesn't have the volume that the greats have. For example, I would put Jose Aldo. Um, I would put Jose Aldo higher on the goat list than Khabib every single time, just because of the sheer volume. And I think that you can't call someone the best fighter to ever live if there isn't a volume, if there isn't a uh, big list of people that they've been with multiple titles. And right now. We're seeing Makachev outdo Khabib because he's already up to three and Khabib's on four. I think if Makachev keeps the volume up, he's going to surpass Khabib very soon. Yeah, but we've seen and I've seen what Khabib does to Makachev in training. <laughs> all right, then tell me, tell me what happened. So you, can, you can nerd out over statistics all you want to. I've seen, I've seen who he trains with. I've seen the people he he touches and. The work being done, I see it in person, and I understand how difficult it is to do the things that he can do. He's a monster. So you you're just alluding to the fact that uh, Khabib and Makachev do their um, do their thing, and Khabib gets the best of him. Probably that's what you're alluding to, I believe. I, so, am I wrong? I've never seen anybody get the best of Khabib. You've never seen anyone beat Khabib in training. I've never seen anybody get the best of Khabib. What about DC? No, if DC get one good one in, Khabib's going to get two. Bro, bro, this is where <laughs> this is where like I I believe you because you're the professional. But how can I believe that? Really, you're there's telling me DC? There's something about attitude and and a, and a, just a steel a steel trap mind. He's just got the frame. Like if DC's goofing around and tries to get gets him and does something, he's not gonna let it go. It's gonna he's gonna get two. He's gonna get two back. How many times has he submitted you? Uh, he hasn't. He has not submitted. Makachev has submitted me, but he's never submitted. But he's controlled me, and like I've not gotten up in five minutes before. Why could Makachev style submit you, but not Khabib? Did you just get caught? Um. Well, Khabib, you're not going to spend any time on Khabib. When you get on top, he's very quickly working up, building frame, and kicking you away and getting back to his feet. Uh, or he's turning it into wrestling pretty quick. So you end up just scrambling and then looking at each other after 30 seconds, 25 seconds. Well, Makachev, he's 
um, not as strong as Khabib, so I can s smash on him a little bit more, and he's forced to use a little bit more jujitsu, which he's much slicker, where he's caught me in a triangle before. But he's, yeah, he's much quicker hips, much slicker, where Khabib could just kick me away, push me away, like Makachev is going to do something slick. All right. So we were talking about how good Makachev's style is, how good Khabib is. A version of that style that I think is a little bit inferior is being done by Chemaev. Now, I know that you've been a little bit vocal about him on Instagram being overrated. Oh, I tend... I didn't even – that's uh, – I, I think he's great. I like watching him. Uh, my comments were how our, our styles are pretty similar, right? And I, I got nothing but hate. But but he's being praised right now. That, that was my only comment. Okay, all right. But um, I, 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 I'm, still, I'm still number nine on all-time most significant strikes landed. It's like 2,100 or something. In welterweight? In all. In total? That's, that, in seems, total. that seems absurd. In total. And I did it in 18 fights. I'm on there in the top 10 with less fights than everybody else in there. Did you manage that? Because um, let's, let's play devil's advocate here. Were you controlling people and hitting them with shots that wouldn't finish the fight, kind of Colby Covington style? or or Significant strikes or significant strikes. Okay, well, then you're just beating the shit out of people then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so are you, are you annoyed that people don't care about, uh, like, like I'm the statistician, I should have known that. I go on the UFC record book like every single day and I didn't see that stat. So, so do you think that, the um do you think that the ufc doesn't mention shit like that with fighters that they don't really care about oh they try to they try to erase you if you're a problem or they don't want you speaking up they uh no like um i had fought eight nine let's see like 13 fights, 13 fights. And the UFC had never mentioned anything. Uh, and the press had never mentioned anything about my style not being entertaining. Not a single time. <laughs> Out of, you know, it, was, it wasn't until the fight uh, with uh, UFC 117 with Tiago that they started... Um, attacking me and the press started asking the same questions it was very eerie to hear the same repetitive questions uh about not being entertaining not finishing fights and that was their way of combating me for asking for title shots after beating you know four guys after losing to gsp so do you think they use that rhetoric and hand that to the press to kind of incentivize fighters that they don't really like the style to change or ship out. They, yeah, they definitely want to control narratives. They're trying to either push you into what they want or they're trying to get rid of you and they need to make sure that they destroy your name enough that you can't recover in another promotion.
They want to uh, take away your value, strip your value away. Are you still 230 pounds? Me? I'm like 225, 230, yeah. Why'd you get so heavy? Because you want to be aesthetic? Uh, I think big. My family's big. I'm just one to lift, carry a little more weight. Uh, I was tired of being small. How'd you get uh, to 170 then? What was that weight cut like for you? I would normally uh, keep my weight below 205. This is where I normally keep it at. Most training camps, I was about 190. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't wasn't too bad. I have a book called The Wake Up Bible. I, I detail how I uh, would eat leading up to the fight and then the stuff I would do to help cut the extra weight at the end. Where can the viewers find The Wake Up Bible? Uh, Amazon. How much is it? It's pretty cheap. It's like five bucks, six bucks, something. Oh, perfect. Let's let's talk about a kind of different topic. I know you're kind of into the truth. I am too. So New York Post just put up an article that Americans consume a credit card worth of plastic in the span of a week to, um, yeah, that five grams, 0.1 to five grams of plastic in one to two weeks or some shit like that weekly. So what do you think about the microplastics and um, how they're like causing synthetic estrogen and fucking everyone's endocrine systems up? Yeah, I, everything is going to shit. <laughs> like if you can, if I, if I could, like my kids are here in San Jose. I can't, I can't leave yet. I would like to retreat into the wilderness. I would like to, Go somewhere where my my dollar goes more. Uh, buy a little bit of land. I'd like to have my own chickens and and hunt for extra meat. Keep it in my extra freezer throughout the year. That type of thing. That's what I would like to be doing. And if you can do those things, I suggest you go do them. <laughs> uh, if you can live somewhere where you're close to your own uh, water source, if you can fish and have your own chickens available, I think do that i don't think i don't think anything's gonna get better anytime soon <laughs> i'm sorry it, it's just um nobody seems to be really trying to make anything better um governments just seem to keep printing more money and sending money to other places we got homeless people all over the place in california here people stealing packages nonstop. it's just wild times I remember things being safe, uh, safer when I was young, and uh, I don't feel like it's very safe for my kids. So, yeah, if you can <laughs> have your own chickens, maybe you can get some of that plastic out of your diet. Maybe if you have your own fresh water and a way to filter it on top of that, then maybe that's the best way to go because I don't know. Like, I, I, I was watching – some something a while ago where they're feeding plastic ground up plastic to the pigs and then they were just feeding that to the pigs as extra filler to fill them out i just like even if you eliminate the regular plastics in our food like our food's probably still eating plastics so what do you think about vegan uh, burgers should we uh throw that in an inferno 
they're not. Uh, I tried the vegan thing. It did not. It did not go well for me. It was not a good fit. I, I think there's a lot of ways you could survive. <laughs> you could get by on eating less of things, but I don't think you're optimizing your health by by not eating meat. We're definitely supposed to eat meat. John, where my family is from is probably, in my opinion, I know I'm biased, but I don't give a fuck. I think that Greece is the single best place to go if you want to escape. You've got fish there. The water's pure. There's no preservatives in anything. Everyone's just farmers. They're chill. All they do is just smoke cigarettes all day, so you'll have to deal with that. Everyone's got chickens. There's no fucking estrogenics in the in the plastics. There's no bullshit. Everyone hangs out in the sun all day, and they drink coffee. That's about it. <laughs> no, because I don't know, man. There's there aren't there migrants in Greece too. They're all coming up. No, not really. Maybe maybe Athens, but I'm talking about more the islands. Like uh, my family is from the islands, and I'm saying that if you go to the islands, you're only going to be gift. You're only going to be um. You, you will be incentivized and you will have to drink wine, smoke uh, darts, and that's about it. <laughs> nice. So you're booking a trip anytime soon? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, moving, moving on to uh, roids. Let's talk about BJJ guys. So BJJ guys always say, that our sport is about leverage and we don't need strength and you can submit big guys and now everyone's jumped on roids and they all look like a shark man hybrid so can you tell me why these bjj guys say uh bullshit oh i mean i just i don't know man it's a sticky it's sticky these days because it's so easy for people to get Kids get get the stuff. Teenagers can get it. They can get stuff online. Um, all the knowledge is there too on how to how to use this stuff. Uh, there's plenty of guys who produce content and put things online, telling people how to optimize their hormones. So it's difficult to to regulate because you're gonna have to spend. You know, who's who's going to be responsible for spending the money for testing? Um, you know, is that going to be the tournament organizer? Is the tournament organizer going to have the money to to pay a company to come in and test that many people? Like, how is that going to keep it affordable for all the athletes involved? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big mess. It's not like there's an easy answer to how to keep the sports clean on any level because now i'm i'm like uh with the amount of <laughs> information that's available because of the internet today like i had no idea that there was different kinds of steroids when i was a kid but there was just from tv the tv said the steroids it was just a bottle that said steroids <laughs> that was there's more than one uh and then there's what like peptides and growth and now you have people who are who are going to mexico for stem cell surgeries so like what's the difference of somebody who goes on some kind of performance enhancing cycle 
to fix a, a leg injury versus someone who, who flies to Mexico and gets stem cells injected for the leg injury. Is one guy going to be penalized and the other guy's, you know, rewarded? I, I don't know. <laughs> but there, I think a serious talk needs to be had. And do you think that McGregor has uh, used them? And do you think that, as you said, the people that do use them, um, people will be chosen to who it benefits? Yeah, it's kind of kind of where we're at now. We've already seen with Brock Lesnar and John Jones and Vitor Belfort, UFC allowing some guys to to fail and still compete. So, you know, like certain guys get shown favoritism and they're not not really testing them anyway. So, um, but no, the stem cells, it's just like newer technology. It's getting better and better all the time. Guys go down for like a fifteen thousand dollar week long trip, and they get they get the 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 treatment throughout the week. They're down there. Uh, they're supposed to go a couple times to have any real benefit. But I'm I'm not I'm not an expert in this in any way. Like I I listened to some stuff that Todd told me, and then uh, Joe Rogan he had talked about stem cells and people going down and people all the people he knows going down and getting stem cell surgery stuff. It's not really surgery. It's like stem cell injections in the... Uh... Do you think Todd Duffy is up to 100% health after the stem cells? I think so. He's, uh, he's feeling great. What's your prediction for his fight? Uh, if he can, you know, prevent Ben from getting that, because he's big. If he can get that, that grip around his head, that can be uh, a problem. Just just because, you know, there's short rounds, but having your head pulled down can get you pretty tired. So hopefully he can avoid that clinch in that side, use movement, be fast, get into his own positions and do damage. When did you meet uh, Arlovsky? Uh, I met Arlovsky a long time ago. He came in, he was looking for a place to train a little bit more regular, D.C., was uh was training he i think he'd already won the uh strike force title at the time when did you start at aka is that your favorite gym uh i moved out from indiana back in 2003 started training aka full-time so how important was the wsof belt for your legacy it was nice uh, to compete and win at a high level. Um, it was, you know, I had won uh, the uh, MMA Mexico world title years before. Uh, the year before I got into the UFC, it was the same year. But, um, no, it was great to, to have that experience and to be at the top. And then I got to defend it against Jake Shields and Madison Square Garden. That was awesome. And then unofficially, officially, I defended it against um, uh, the other guy uh, uh, when they made the switch to PFL, Brian Foster. And I uh, had a big, had a nice finish that night. So it was, uh, it was a good feeling to, to win at the top and to, to be a champ.
that's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, John, for your time. Is there any final remarks you want to say to the fans at home as we wrap up the podcast today? Uh, go ahead and go to johnfish.net. It's my website. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter. I send out things, um, deals and updates, things like that. I uh, have a lot of programs on Gumroad from from seminars that I've taught and uh, fitness programs and stuff that I, that I sell there. So you can check those out. But yeah, uh, sign up for the newsletter and stay up to date. Follow John Fitch on Instagram. Link in the description. Go buy all of his shit. Follow Anything Combat on Spotify. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.